Hello and welcome to another episode of the Sports Weekly Podcast. I'm joined as ever by Chris. Chris, say hi. Hi. Josh, Josh, say hi. Hello. And Will, we'll say hi. Good evening. <laughs> I'm your host, Dan, and this is the Sports Weekly Podcast. So we're back for another episode of the Sports Weekly Podcast. Uh, Chris, I introduced you first. So how are you? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. Um, yeah, just been enjoying uh, watching the uh, return of the uh, Premier League this this weekend. Really, quite it's taken up a good chunk of it, which I've been been enjoying. It's been good fun as ever. It hasn't let up in the goals, has it? No, I mean Josh, what has happened to football? <laughs> no one just no one took defending classes over lockdown, no. did they? No one just forgot to train in that department. Focus yeah. on the or an adulterated attack and it's great for the viewers who aren't in stadiums but who cares at the moment I just just want to sit and watch it. it Will we're recording after the incredible three all draw between uh, Tottenham and West Ham Tottenham 3-0 up and Lanzini with an absolute perler in the last with the last kick of the game in fact um, yeah I, I don't remember football ever being like this uh, three threes. I mean, just I'm goals, wall to wall goals. Well, I, I think ever since the 2014 World Cup, when VAR was introduced, we, we finally realised the art of defending had died by the <laughs> record amount of penalties that was given away. Obviously, when you brought that into the Premier League, um, the well, uh, well, we can just point out how bad defending is because once pen- players realised they can't really get away with the old tactics of putting a late-ditch tackle, possibly bringing the man down, knowing the referee won't really give dubious decisions, and they just started going, well, I can't really go down in the box anymore. And because they don't know how to defend, they'll put a tackle in. Uh, they're too scared of giving away a penalty, so they're just letting goals go in. The days of sort of, I don't know, um, the AC Milan back four of the 80s and 90s are dead. Um other than possibly, I don't, I don't know. We'll have to have a look at the statistics. I don't. I don't think it's shocking that defenders really don't know how to defend anymore. And VAR has now pointed that out to the point where, because defenders can't defend anymore and they can't get away with any sort of any uh, sort of failure on their part, more goals were always going to go in. And mm-hmm. I think that's what we're seeing. Yeah, I think it's interesting as well. Every year for the past ten years, the like shot conversion rate has gone up amongst like the league which I think is quite interesting so it's not necessarily that teams are always more attacking now although some teams obviously are but I think mm. just across the board maybe strikers are becoming more clinical or, or maybe goalkeeping slightly become more difficult I'm not sure uh, whether or, there's changes in the ball uh, it could be anything I suppose do you, but do you think I think that's strikers, quite interesting do you think that strikers Chris are getting more opportunities because defending is potentially worse because defenders are being asked to play not necessarily as defenders, as basically deep line yeah, playmakers. There's, there's a few more teams that play with like with high lines these days, I think, and that's why you see some of these odd score lines, like the Liverpool Villa result or the uh, Tottenham against Southampton result. Uh, and again, you saw it with Southampton this weekend, where um, Chelsea were able to get in behind quite a bit. So yeah, I think that is part of it. I'd agree. Um, yeah, I think there's an interesting study there. There's probably someone's PhD uh, <laughs> ready to be done there on that to, I mean, to work out exactly what is going on. Because Chris, is, Chris has already got his doctorate in sport, Dr. Chris. So, Josh, I think that's yours and Will's joint effort um, to, to study <laughs> I, I did, this. I did a massive study on racism and football for the 1960s. Uh, right, okay. So I'm, I'm okay, well, Josh, yeah, Josh, Josh yeah. 
I've, Josh, I've got Josh. this, guys. You've got I'll this. Give you the spreadsheet, mate. I'll figure. <laughs> Can we jointly? <laughs> We are jointly funding this PhD, aren't we? Pages as well. Yes. Remember to Oxford reference, or apparently you'll lose most of your moves, like ten percent of your grade. <laughs> yeah, yeah, complete bullshit. Uh, Josh, <laughs> I think with all the massive funding we've got in this podcast, because obviously clearly it's funded well because of the the, the great content, um, with the massive funding the podcast generates, we can probably let you do a doctor or something. It sounds, to be fair, it sounds all right, doesn't it? I mean, the sponsorship is rolling in. Rolling. We might as well spend it on something apart from. Us, yeah, I mean, significant while, wages. Whilst Josh mentions that <laughs> to, to potential sponsors out there, we will literally sponsor anything. So, yo, I mean, any anything, <laughs> anything for the moolah. So, me, I, I can't hear over you with my Scrooge McDuckian vault full of money next to me. <laughs> <laughs> so, you, a, a lot of the uh, podcasts I've listened to recently have started advertising. Uh, how shall I put this? Um, male Adult grooming website. products. Male so, grooming. Uh, yeah, we'll yeah. go for that. Yeah, so uh, they've they've led to some uh, quite (laughs) yeah they've led to some quite interesting uh, ad breaks in the middle of the podcast. They'll sort of move uh, seamlessly from I don't know Aston Villa's attacking to Harry Bollocks, and then (laughs) (laughs) will you shakes you out of your uh, cup of tea that you're enjoying? Will you said look at me and Dan, we both groom. You clearly groom because your beard looks glorious. Mine is all over the place, all (laughs) over the place. It's because I'm a five out of ten without grooming, you see. So with the grooming, <laughs> yeah. I'm a five point five out of ten. So it, uh, it, you're at least a six point one. At least a six point one. Oh, stop one. it so now! Don't you, don't you start. Um, Elite any... one to championship, lower side player. <laughs> exactly, this guy. This guy. Call me um, Car- Cameron Carter Vickers. There you go. What a, what a name. Um, so without we have to get on with the rest of the pod, guys. So let's stop talking about me and me and Will's glorious to? faces. Um, yeah, we have to now. Later on, we have got a brilliant section with the fantastic Ed Straw that me and Chris uh, recorded a little bit earlier today. Uh, Chris, what a fantastic chat, by the way. Yeah, Ed was uh, as eloquent and as uh, interested as ever with his uh, with his views on, on, on Formula One over the last uh, 20 years, in this case, with the career of Lewis Hamilton. Uh, so we really... Um, we, yeah, we really drilled into Lewis's career, covered it from before he made it into Formula One, those first uh, formative seasons where he competed for the title and then and then managed to take it in his, in his second year. Uh, the sort of wilderness years uh, we sort mm. of touched upon where he still managed to win uh, yeah. a race in every single season he's competed in. So they weren't that bad a wilderness. No. Uh, and then uh, more recently, yeah, brought it right up to date with his success driving for Mercedes in the uh, the hybrid power era. Um, and then... Uh, and then Ed finally looked on his, uh, his his legacy as a British sportsman as well. So yeah, really uh, a, a, a fantastic uh, discussion which uh, left no stone unturned. But I don't think. And, and a great insight from somebody who was there in the first championship winning season of Lewis Hamilton. Yes. It's actually at the track, so I didn't know that, and it was brilliant. In the garage, in fact. In the garage, yeah. right, <laughs> right next to Nicole Scherzinger, yeah. um, which was lovely. What a great image. Um, but it was also <laughs> fantastic to have a, a returning guest, but but another returning guest, I should say, but this person, editor in, former editor-in-chief of Autosport, writer and podcaster and general uh, editor for, uh, I think, The Race. Yes. Um, yeah. Writer for F1.com and just so many different accolades for so from such a, a brilliant, brilliant person. But before we get to that interview, we have a new feature, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I need some kind of jingle from you guys. Just a new feature jingle. Um, 
give me any noise, basically, that sounds oh, terrific. I thought all that sponsor money had got us that <laughs> Yeah, that's, that would be the perfect place to put it, insert yeah. that. I mean, yeah. we need some trumpet, so um, if you can think of any for, for next time we introduce a new feature, that'd be great. You're all but, looking at me here, and I'm not going to yeah, do it. Yeah, honestly, we are. <laughs> You're all looking at me here, and I'm not going to do it. You're the fanfare guy. The, the Will, the fanfare guy. So, um, But... This is called, and Will Will's brilliant brain came up with this, uh, it's called The Undebatables. And we're going to, hopefully, if it works, each week debate one question. Um, and this week it's the turn of Will and Josh. And the question they are going to debate is, did Arsene Wenger underachieve at Arsenal? Uh, obviously, this is topical because Arsene Wenger has his new book out, uh, highlighting his major successes and the year's post those major successes. Um, he was on Graham Norton. I've never seen him on a chat show before. He looks glorious. I mean, what, that guy doesn't age. He, he looked fantastic. Um, a bit wooden, but um, by the by. Um, but that's <laughs> so cool and calm. Um, so the question we're going to debate in the undebatables is, did Arsene Wenger underachieve at Arsenal? Uh, Will, you are on the side of... No, I believe he overachieved. And Josh, you have come up on the side of? He 100% underachieved. Now, I don't know whether Josh actually believes that because I asked Josh to be that side. But, <laughs> but um, me and Chris are going to decide who we think wins the argument based on their arguments alone. Um, not then on our um, preconceived ideas, just based on their arguments. Will is going to go first. And Will, you are going to have two minutes Two minutes, and I will stop you after two minutes. I'll just shout stop, and then you'll have to stop. And then Josh, you'll go on to your two minutes, and me and Chris will decide who wins before we then get onto the Ed Straw chat. Um, will did Arsene Wenger underachieve at Arsenal? Two minutes, go. Um, well, no, essentially he couldn't have done. You can't be in the manager's position for twenty-two years and underachieve at any job. Um, it's an unfathomable amount of time. And one thing before I start off is, would we have had the Sir Alex Ferguson, the greatest Premier League manager of all time, if we didn't have the rivalry with Arsene Wenger? I don't think we would. So he comes in 22nd of September 1996 with mixed views. Not many people knew him. Um, a few French people knew him from Monaco, but obviously he was in Japan before that. Um, now, he basically reinvented what it was to be a manager. Um, the idea of taking over a club so the big thing we have now with like the case of Pochettino is head coach versus manager. Head coach is basically trained for the club. A manager runs the whole operation. Arsene Wenger brought that into the Premier League when he was the manager of uh, Arsenal within the modern age. So he brought in vitamin injections with creatine for players, banned the drinking culture of the Tuesday club of the old Arsenal gang, One took minute. the training contract negotiations and nutrition, brought in nutritional value. Um, and science, sports science, and psychologists play themselves. Um, he brought in possibly the most players who became Premier League icons, like Dennis Bergkamp and Thierry Henry. He brought a massive transition to the Emirates Stadium, the world-renowned Emirates Stadium, the invincibles of the Premier League, a record that no one even matched with better teams like Man City or Liverpool, still can't do it. Three Premier League wins, seven FA Cup wins. Three Premier League wins is enough. Jason Mourinho bangs on about it all the time, doesn't he? <laughs> um, win, win ratio of 57.2%, played 1,235 matches, 707 wins. To say that he's an underachiever is laughable. And 18 seconds to spare, nailed it in that time. You've also kind of given the bias away, so now the listeners are going to realise, oh, well, Josh might not actually believe this because Dan told him to. Yeah, 
which I agree with, and I, I apologise for that, Josh, but I just want to hear Josh's <laughs> arguments, even on a topic he might not agree with himself. If he can argue for the for the contrary and make me and Chris doubt Arsene Wenger's brilliance, then... But the fact that you had wow. to tell someone goes in my favour. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Uh, right. a big reveal at the end as to what I really think. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> please do. Um, right, Josh, did Arsene Wenger uh, underachieve at Arsenal? Two minutes, go. So I think he definitely did underachieve and will, you know, very understandably from his viewpoint, emphasises the kind of early years in Wenger's tenure, uh, which were incredible and will be unrivaled um, most likely. I'm not sure there'll ever be another seasons of the, of the Invincibles. But in the way he underachieved was his later years. So he wasn't, he set himself such a high standard with the Invincibles that he could not replicate. So he failed to replace the CDM of that team. He failed to replace Vieira, Gilberto Silva, and that plagued that team for years. The fact from sort of 2005, 2006 to when he left, there was no box-to-box midfielder that was kind of the hallmark of the Invincibles. Neither did he replace the defence. So he had a kind of hugely solid pairing in, in Campbell and Keown and Adams before that. And I can't really think of a centre-back who kind of held the defence together like like they did. One minute. Um, <laughs> in oh, so much pressure. He also missed a number of signings. So he kind of, uh, a list I read earlier was, there was Kante among them, Vincent Kompany, Paul Pogba, Gareth Bale, Lionel Messi even. So his, his kind of much vaunted scouting ability and bringing in these amazing players and kind of, you know, Fabregas, for example, is, is one example. He missed so many. His squad could have been that much better. And you can't look beyond the fact that he he didn't win another title after the Invincible season. That long kind of 15, 16 years of a, a barren run, that mentality instilled with the Invincibles was nowhere to be seen. Year after year, to get to February, they were top of the league. There'd be a slump. They'd lose four or five in a row. And even... It was to the benefit of my own team, but the Leicester season, that was Arsenal's for the taking. I don't, and I couldn't see how you could say that Arsene Wenger hadn't underachieved. Stop! Um, that that, that, that stop year. didn't quite go as well as I wanted it to. My voice cracked <laughs> a little bit. Sound like I was in puberty again. Um, so, thank you, Josh. Thank you, Will. Mm. Both very, very good arguments. Now, me and Chris are going to talk about those. Uh, Chris, 30 seconds. I just want to say, Seth Fabregas did play for Arsenal. Oh, yeah, he did. Uh, what I meant to say was Cesc Fabregas was one of those players that he did develop, but people focus on that, whereas they don't, they miss the players he didn't sign because, well, why on earth didn't he? <laughs> um, Chris, who for you gave the best arguments for or against the point? Uh, I think, well, they both put together a good case. Yeah. But for me, I'm, I am uh, siding with, with Will's case, I think. I think... Um, yeah, I think you, part of it is just, I mean, look at Arsenal where they are now. I mean, it's kind of, it's new beginning after new beginning. So I think um, I'll say knitting it together <laughs> years of consistent achievement, as Will pointed out, uh, and also managing it through financial frugality while they moved to a new stadium. He had to operate with not that, relatively not a lot of money available while new money was coming into the league like Chelsea with Abramovich's money at the time made it a lot more difficult for them and I feel I think he still 
managed with uh, great class and more often than not took his team to the top four and picked up trophies as well. I mean, Tottenham are doing really, followed a similar kind of path in the last few years, but don't have the trophies to show for it. So uh, I think that uh, that really showed our Saints quality. So, yeah, I think there were, there were points. We'd all think of things we could have done better in our careers, I think. But um, I think on the whole, I'll say uh, did not underachieve. Yeah. Um, so that's one point for Will. Congratulations, Will. You got your first point on the undebatables. <laughs> um, I mean, I will point out one thing, Will. Um, this doesn't go against you in the point, but I think Bruce Rioch signed Dennis Bergkamp and not Arsene Wenger. I think he was there before Arsene Wenger. Um, but he Chris, did Do you sign... want to reconsider on the light of that? You know, was but that he... a crucial tenet in the argument? But he... Now you've got okay. that information. All, all, all right, but... but I thought... No, because I mean... Didn't, no, didn't he bring in Patrick Vieira? Yeah, I uh, Bergkamp yeah. was yeah. brought in. Like... Uh, no, so Bergkamp was brought in by Rioc from Inter Milan, I think in 95, <laughs> but, or 96, I can't remember. Uh, however, he did bring in Thierry Henry and what a signing that was. Um, it's really difficult because Will made so many good arguments, but the one argument that killed it for me was that from the Invincible season, he did not win a title for so, so long afterwards. And yes, there was points of... of won 10 titles in 20 years. That's one every of two course, years. Yeah, of course. However, <laughs> he, he was it was so... Lot, and even from the time they won their FA Cup to the next time they won their FA Cup, that was still nine years in the making. And I think... And so for, many opportunities for him in that time, not least the Leicester season, but he was... Well, there were so many times. Well, when... I, I I think for that reason, for that argument alone, I think Josh just swayed it for me. If you were looking at the All initial right, so... part of Arsene Wenger's time, then Noah absolutely didn't underachieve. He overachieved. However, George Graham had a really good time with Arsenal before Arsene Wenger got yeah. there. And, and therefore, Arsenal already were a good team. And I think Arsene Wenger in those periods behind, if he won, say, two more titles or one more title or a few FA Cups here and there, I think maybe... But actually, I think I'm just going to side with Josh here. I think I think Josh just swayed it for me, which brings us to a conundrum. <laughs> right, just, it right, doesn't. Right, it brings us just, to a draw. It brings us to a draw in our let first me just, the undebatables. Let me, just put, let me just point some things out. Okay, so fair enough. I got a couple of things wrong in regards to. No, no, I'm not holding that against I'll, you. I'll, I'll replace a couple. Of, so Sylvian Wiltor, Robert Perez, Sol Campbell, Colo Torre, Cesc Fabregas, Jose Antonio Reyes, Robin van Persie, Matthew Flamini. Um, at least a few of them have definitely made well. Uh, Thomas Rosicki, for God's sake, at least quite a few of them. Possibly not Burkamp on re level, but I mean, a lot of them would be will, will be remembered as Premier League, maybe not icons, or maybe maybe, I maybe gonna, I, icons. I, I could agree with that list completely until you got to Matthew Flamini. <laughs> Matthew, <laughs> Matthew Flamini is one of the best centre midfielders that's ever played the game. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That is oh not. No, I don't. I disagree. <laughs> Are you taking the mic? No, I'm, I'm not, not taking the mic. Taking the mic. Matthew Flamini. He's got Matthew Flamini. One of the smartest. I can't believe that. One of the smartest men ever to play the game. <laughs> Maybe, but <laughs> I'm not having it. Are you joking? Um, no, I'm not. He is really rich. No, yeah, yeah, he's the richest. Yeah, I'm not saying that. But because of a company that created. No, no, I'm not having this. I'm not having that he was a great footballer because of that, though. Um, I no. think. Yeah, I great think play, great play, Matthew Flamini. I'm not having that. That should be our debate next week. Is <laughs> Matthew Flamini one of the greatest CDMs games ever seen? Um, not CDMs, not CDMs. One of the one of the best centre midfielders 
Arsenal and possibly the league I've ever seen consistently was fantastic. I mean, I can't believe that take. But when you're we'll, playing we'll... an unsex, when you play in an unsexy position, when you play in an unsexy position, you never get noticed. I mean, so, true, I true, but I, I still. I mean, if you said like, that about if you said you know. that about Diaby, then maybe. But um... well, I don't know. Maybe not one of the best best centre midfielders ever been, but one of the oh, no, easily one one of the greatest consistently. Uh, Disagree. Off, uh, very quick. Chris, right. Chris is well, turning I, I, his okay, opinion well, around. I, I, either way, then I, either way, then um, you, you can't you can't doubt the fact that Arsene Wenger, oh sorry, Arsene Wenger, uh, <laughs> has literally created what it is to be a modern manager in yeah. the likes of bringing in the sports sciences and the likes of being actually a manager, taking over every aspect yeah. of the club. And oh, yeah. But then he was he was. Us- he was outdated. He, in the end, he, he wasn't outdated. He brought in the new. Oh yeah, he brought it in. But then, as the years it. went by, I suppose not so much in terms of the what it is to be a manager, but his tactics just right. looked really outdated. Every people came along. That, started... They brought in two managers since then who have basically tried to rebuild what he did. As soon as Arsene Wenger left, Arsenal went <laughs> yeah, down I mean, and tried I, to recreate think, exactly everything. It's a bit I like the Man United the... regime after they could barely keep up after the man had basically created everything. I, I agree. When Jose, when Jose Mourinho says Manchester United was second and that's his best ever position, Arsene Wenger was doing that with a lackluster squad, shit board and the rest of it. Yeah, but I think the difference is that when Alex Ferguson was doing it, he kept recreating that team that was then going to go on and win another title. Whereas as soon as the likes of Adams, uh, Vieira, Henri left, he didn't recreate that. And obviously you can't you can't, there's no, there's nobody as good as Omri oh, for me. Sol Campbell, but I, I don't. Yeah, but Sol Campbell was was part of that early squad. William Gallas, uh, Philippe Sender, but, but then <laughs> Sebastian Scalacci, Pascal Sigon, those kind of people. Everyone has bad signings. Of, of course they do. Of course, but but I think Alex right. Ferguson made his bad signings into good signings. Anderson, for example, Gabriel I don't think was a great. Obertan. Bebe won a Premier League title. I mean, that guy was a hero. Um, anyway, we, we've spent but enough time on Arsene Wenger. So um, we have to then open this out to our followers. Did Arsene Wenger underachieve? Yes or no? We'll have our answer next week. I think this, the undebatables work brilliantly. What a great debate. Thank you both very much for coming up with that debate. The listeners, it's now your decision. Did Arsene Wenger underachieve? Yes or no? We'll put a poll out. And Will and Josh, you'll have your answer next week and we'll see who won. Anyway, next up, our brilliant interview with the incredible Ed Straw. So welcome back to the second part of the Sports Weekly podcast. Delighted to say that Chris and I are joined by the incredible Ed Straw. Ed, how are you? Yeah, not too bad. Not often described as incredible. So uh, I'll take all the compliments I can get. Normally, it's much less complimentary. Yeah. I mean, get used to it. I've got loads of, su- uh, loads of superlatives and loads of lovely describing words. And I'll just keep using them throughout the section, if that's all right. Um, yeah, they keep them coming. Yeah. So um, in this section, we are going to be talking about the brilliant Lewis Hamilton. Of course, last weekend, he equaled Michael Schumacher's record of 91 Grand Prix victories. He looks absolutely nailed on to go and claim his seventh driver's championship which again would put him level with Michael Schumacher's record um, and therefore would surely go down as not only one of the best um, Formula One drivers of all time but also you'd imagine one of the best British sports people of all time. Um, Now we are going to look back on Lewis Hamilton's career because what a brilliant career it has been um, from some for someone from such humble beginnings. So um, Ed, we're going to take us right back to uh, Lewis Hamilton's first tastes of 
Formula One, of driving in general. Um, there's a lovely clip of him on Blue Peter being interviewed by John Leslie at the age of six, driving remote control cars around a track. Not interested in the slightest in what John Leslie has to say, just kind of really focused on the driving. But from that, we then have him karting, which was massively funded by his father, uh, Anthony, and advancing through the, the, the formulas, Formula Renault, uh, Formula 3, uh, GP2, champions across the board. Was it nailed on that he was going to be an absolute success in F1, Ed? I don't think it's ever absolutely nailed on, but he certainly had that that fundamental raw ability that was gradually refined over, over time. So he always felt like he was on that pathway. And of course, once he got in with McLaren, which was a few years into his karting career, Again, there was some some publicity in, in the British media. There was a lot of interest in him. And obviously, because of his background, there was extra interest as well. So it always seemed very likely. But then again, you can always look back in, not just in motor racing, but all sports, at people who look nailed on to, to make it and they don't come through. But Hamilton was able to rise to the challenge at every single level and develop properly. So it was always in him, but it wasn't absolutely certain he still had to make it work every step of the way which he's done spectacularly now he, he is a man who deserves all the superlatives certainly and well you could see uh, ed from the first just the first interviews that he's he's had um as i said blue peter uh, different bbc3 programs just the drive and no pun intended but the drive he had to succeed he, he was completely focused he really clearly enjoyed what he did he enjoyed that competitive edge and some of the clips of him just full speed on those carts, no fear whatsoever. And, he abs- and for me, he carried that on through to his um, Formula One days, but also before that is Formula Three, Formula Renault, GP2 days. Do you think that in itself is what makes him such a good driver, his fearlessness, when others would just be so terrified at the speeds that they were going at? That certainly will have played a part, particularly... Uh, in the younger days, I, I guess when you're when you're that young, you don't necessarily even understand the, the risks when you're first going around in in karting. But I think he's always had that supreme confidence in his ability and been able to control the vehicle under him. So all the what I like to call, I think of the uh, the raw material, should we say, was always there, and then he and then he gradually developed that over time. So yeah, he's never seemed overawed by situations. Obviously, he's had the the mental ability to process everything that was going on and being thrown at him. And sometimes people kind of run out of capacity on the way up. They they reach a certain level, and that's kind of their their ceiling. But Hamilton's just kept smashing through every ceiling that's been put in front of him. So yeah, clearly somebody with with great raw materials, but also the right mindset, the right people behind him, the right guidance, the right opportunities as well, but he earned them. So, you know, one thing feeds the other. You get opportunities because you're good and so on, and, and, that, and that becomes self-sustaining. So, But clearly there's something about his character that does give him that drive and that determination to, to keep kind of pushing on, and we're still seeing that to this day. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned the, the people behind him, Ed. Do you think that his father, Anthony... How big of a part has he played in this journey for Lewis Hamilton? Because obviously Lewis was, it was integral to Lewis's early successes, funded his karting career, um, but obviously just seems to keep Lewis a bit humble, a bit more grounded. And, and, and that good influence surely has to, has to play a massive part in that. So how big a part do you think his father has played? Yeah, he has, pl- he has played a big part. There was a period in his F1 career when his father was a bit more distant, but maybe that's mm. the, the kind of natural evolution. They seem to kind of 
move apart a little bit and then come back together should we say but that that's a natural process I guess yeah. for uh, for anyone so yeah I think he's played a, a big part and obviously instilled some of that determination and that you've got to make the most of your opportunities because they won't keep coming you know, he, he was from a what I, what I sort of call a relatively normal background yeah. uh, from an IT background so he was able to get sort of some money into to do karting but certainly not anything approaching the uh, the kind of mega millions uh, <laughs> father of racing drivers that, that you do see around the place so that will have played a big part in uh, in, in shaping him and you, you sort of see some of that in Lewis and what he talks about and he talks about the sort of need to be humble and you see he's a little bit uncomfortable with all the questions about why you're so great that he's been getting yeah. recently what we're doing so well so clearly it's it's very hard to to say because I imagine that's a complicated relationship as it is for for everyone but it certainly appears that not just with giving that an opportunity but also giving him the right mindset to, to keep pushing on without going off the rails as obviously you do see plenty of people in sport uh, yeah, doing at when, some point well when you've got that much money at such a young age you must I, I wouldn't know what to do with myself I, you'd be just what, what do I do with all or literally all of this money how what am I supposed to do and I, I think having a his father there to help him especially during that early stage much must have absolutely helped him on that path I mean Chris um, Ed's there talked about his willingness, his drive to succeed. He was a GP2 champion in 2006, and then by 2007, selected for the uh, McLaren team after the departures of Juan Pablo Montoya, uh, Kimi Raikkonen, two brilliant drivers in their own right, and then alongside Fernando Alonso, a double world champion. Yeah. I mean, at 20, I think he was 22 when he was when he was picked for for McLaren. There, I mean, for anybody else, that must be a, a ridiculously difficult transition and, and and you're immediately sprung into the spotlight especially as a as a young british driver um but then to go out in his first race as he did and lead for part of that first race and then finish on the podium still mm. I mean, what a what an incredible story for the young man but what what a, a brilliant mindset as we've already discussed he must have yeah um yeah it was a absolutely stellar start in a, a baptism of the fire, as you said there, uh, <laughs> standing alongside the uh, the freshly moved uh, double champion in Fernando Alonso, and yeah, to I mean, my memories of that first race were uh, him qualifying incredibly well and thinking, oh yeah, there's pretty good driver here. But obviously, at this uh, at that early stage, you don't know how much is his car and how much is his driver quite so much in that early stage of the season as well. But uh, and then when I heard he'd uh, finished on the podium. Uh, I was, yeah, I was, I was mightily impressed, really, and it showed that his mental strength was already there from a, a very young age. We've seen, uh, particularly in recent years, young drivers come in and can can struggle when they're moved into a large team or start in a large team, like we've seen with, uh, with well, with like Gasly and Albon spring to mind at the moment, who uh, find who have found it tough or are finding it tough in the Red Bull seat. But um, there was no sign of that with Lewis in that McLaren. He, was fantastic and actually it wasn't until about well into the second half of the season when he actually finished off the podium which was which is remarkable really it showed fantastic consistency took his first win in the uh the sixth race in Canada mm. and um he showed himself to be well capable of of handling Formula One but also well capable of handling a title challenge I mean you mentioned and, it uh, there Chris like it was a while until he, it was nine podiums in a row, nine yeah. podiums for, yeah. for a rookie driver in his first season, again, next to the, the, as we've said, the double world champion. 
I mean, yeah. can either of you, Chris, I'll come to you first. Can either of you remember a better rookie season in living memory um, from Lewis Hamilton's? Because what an incredible season he had. And then going into the final race, four points in the lead and a gearbox failure was the reason that he, he, he went away and lost his debut championship by one single point. I mean, what a first season for somebody. But I'll, I'll come to you first, Chris, as I said. Do you remember a better season? And then, Ed, I'm going to ask you afterwards, what do you think Lewis Hamilton's mindset is after that season? The, yes, he's finished brilliantly, but to miss out by one point, I mean, that's the, the difficulty. So, Chris, you first. Ever remember a better rookie season? Um, no, to be honest. I think <laughs> he, he was, obviously, he's fortunate in that he's dropped into a, a title-challenging team because... I mean, ninety odd percent of rookies don't have that have that uh, advantage. They obviously, uh, you tend mm. to start in some of the lower teams. Um, but does that, Chris? Sorry to interrupt. Does that not show you the the brilliant the the amount of trust yeah, yeah. that Ron Dennis had in him? Yeah, he'd already shown through the like you just touched on earlier on the junior formula that he had. Uh, what it took to persuade Ron Dennis that he was he would be capable of fulfilling that sort of role so uh, yeah you could argue he's put in the hard yards there but he he certainly uh, he absolutely made it made it count uh, and no I can't remember a better rookie season the only thing I would say is possibly going into the last two races with a a, um, a 12 point lead over his closest challenger um, and not being able to convert it yeah I, mean, I don't know whether that was uh, I think it would be harsh to say that was inexperienced because I think my memory, it's still seared into my memory at China. <laughs> his car sliding off on the pit entry, which is such a bizarre place to, to go off. But I don't think that was down to any lack of control by himself. I think that was his team had left him out on canvases in the, in the rain, which was, didn't give him the best chance. And then, uh, yeah, this weird gearbox malfunction in Brazil, which I think... Might be wrong in this. I'm sure either he or someone was close to him was hinting that there's a lot more to come out of that story, but it will be after he's retired. So I'll be intrigued to hear what exactly that is, if there is a bit more to uh, to find out about that. But um, yeah, overall, a uh, absolutely fantastic season. Well, Chris, um, Chris mentioned it there, Ed. Um, going into the final two races, 12 points in the lead, going into the final race, four points in the lead, and then ended up losing the championship by a single point. What I mean, any normal person, what would that do to their to their mindset? Clearly, it didn't for Lewis Hamilton, and it it brought him back stronger. But how gutting must it be, on one hand, to lose it, but how brilliant a rookie season he's had to only lose it by one point? Yeah, I, I imagine that at that point, it feels like you've got many more in front of you. So while there'll have been the the disappointment on the day, as it were, and you think, oh, you know, I could have won that so easily, I imagine it probably feels like there, there will be lots more chances in the future. So Perhaps, yeah, he was able to to rationalise it a bit and say, I mean, obviously he'd have wanted to win, but say, well, this was a pretty amazing first season. You know, there's a couple of rookie seasons that are in a similar ballpark, Jack Villeneuve, Jackie Stewart, but to come in the way that Hamilton did mm. as a almost fully rounded driver against Fernando Alonso, who then, he was the guy who was going to break all of Michael <laughs> Schumacher's records, wasn't he? Because he he just won two championships for, for Renault. He, he was the man, but... I think that season also took a lot out of him because there was all the stuff going on with the the spy scandal, as it's known in the background. Lots of acrimony within the team as well. So I imagine that first season was a bit of a bit of a maelstrom for uh, for Hamilton. So I imagine he didn't have much time to sort of think about what he made from it because he he went through so much. Yeah. Not only the success he had, 
a few years worth of success you could argue you had a few years worth of madness off track as well just with <laughs> what was going on I imagine that was quite a big experience and, and I do think the one thing we do here is obviously Chris you referenced the the China incident with the with the tire that was he was left out for too long they should have brought him in Hamilton kind of knew that that was the case and I do wonder if that's there in his constant updates about tire conditions even to this day it's just implanted it's like give all the feedback on the tires give it constantly because <laughs> yeah. that's just a a, a kind of formulative experience should we uh should we say well isn't that a winning mentality there to be so detailed in, in, in any minutiae he's he's just there detailed i've got to feedback constantly because so many people think it's a sing uh, a singular sport but the team is so important yeah i think hamilton has learned that we'll probably get onto this a little bit later the evolution <laughs> and the way formula one changed and i think he did have to go through a bit of a process particularly with how drastically uh, Formula One as a whole changed in the way you had to drive and execute races. But I think, I mean, today the, he's a driver who does leave no stone unturned. And I think it does sound like he's complaining a lot over the radio. And part of that will be a little bit of a coping mechanism, just to vent off a little <laughs> bit of the, a little bit of the stress, should we say. But I think also it's, you know, no information is bad information, should we say. And he doesn't want to get to the end of the race and have the pit will say to him, well, if you told us that, we might have known this. And that, that's kind of the Mercedes way. But then you watch so many winners, basically. You watch so many documentaries about winners and they are obsessed with everything. They, they, as you say, leave no stone unturned. So that's his personality because he's such a winner and, and, and everything can be improved. And therefore, if he keeps improving, he will keep winning. And that's, it's, for me, that's not a... That's um, intentional, isn't it? Every everything that he does is very intentional to try and win. Yeah, and I think that's a a common thread throughout the greats in sports. Certainly, the ones who are able to deliver over a long period of time, it's always improving. It's looking yeah. at the the one percent that wasn't quite right, rather than the ninety nine percent that was. And if you keep improving, you'll have a chance of staying ahead of the rest. And this actually is the phase Hamilton's kind of in now. He's the, he's an old man on the grid, but he's still able. <laughs> to be the the dominant force and and match up to the Max Verstappen to Charles Leclerc. Yeah. I mean if we look at that improvement Ed, uh, we go into the next season and an incredible season for Hamilton. The almost again kind of let he almost let him slip him by um going into that final race in Brazil and Felipe Massa and his team were sure that they had won and the premature celebrations in the paddocks and I think it's Felipe Massa's dad was probably the first one to realize that actually hang on we've, we've celebrated too early here and um, Hamilton coming back around that final corner passing Timo Glock and finishing I believe fifth which then um, got him to his first uh, driver's championship and the things that see are seared on my mind as Chris talked about earlier Nicole Scherzinger going crazy in the paddocks, which I'm sure Lewis Hamilton probably isn't very happy with anymore, um, being the the one clip that that, that is is gone on early uh, and is constantly replayed. Sorry, when when looking at his first championship win, um, how much of a fan do you think Ed Lewis Hamilton is of Timo Glock, um, and how much praise did he give him afterwards? And and in in all seriousness, how good do you think that victory was that Hamilton just kept going and knowing that something could happen and just kept driving the, the best that he could to try and get past that line and then eventually getting through and winning his first of many uh, world championship titles 
Well, that's what uh, I guess Jackie Stewart would call it mind management. And that, that's the case in all sports, isn't it? It's just keep going through your process and then you get to the end and see where it shakes out. Obviously, that race was a little bit strange because it rained. Various people mm. stopped for wets. Both the Toyotas didn't. And that was what got Glock ahead. And Glock was doing what he could. I think actually on that last lap, he set almost exactly the same lap time. Uh, to within a tenth as his teammate Jarno Trulli, uh, and there was no way that Glock could have stayed uh, could have stayed ahead. And I think he um, he lost many seconds just on the run from the last proper corner to the to the line. So there's nothing Timo could could do about it. Although uh, there were quite a few people in Brazil who uh, were quite irritated with him. Should we say? I remember catching <laughs> up with Timo in the, in the paddock after, and he'd just been besieged by a few Brazilian journalists who were irritated with him, and he he was slightly surprised, should we say, by that. But yeah, it, it, it's a classic example if you just keep going, because Hamilton had stopped, and he'd actually got passed by Vettel in the Toro Rosso to bump him down to, to sixth place, which was the obviously the, the key problem that he had to yeah. make up for. But yeah, just keeping going, not panicking, not thinking this is getting away from me, because this is the point where you might think back to last year. It'd be very easy to do that. Think, oh, this can't happen again. This can't be happening. But it was just, no, just drive, get to the end, think about it later. And I think that was quite in, impressive. But it was, I, I was fortunate enough in that one because I'd arranged to do an article for um, for Autosport, which was kind of getting the atmosphere in the garage when he clinched a title. So the, the, the agreement was that <laughs> if everything was looking good with 10, 12 laps to go, something like that, I could go into the garage, hang around, get all the atmosphere. And of course, this was just the point I was once I was in there that it all kicked off and the pit oh, stop no. and everything and actually the clips of Nicole Scherzinger in the garage if, if they panned along just a few a few meters <laughs> I'd have been standing there looking uh, looking not quite as excited but I was gonna uh, say we have attempted <laughs> just to walk across shot and just go there yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> for some reason they felt Nicole Scherzinger was a bigger star than me and I case. just don't get it I don't sure know why her, but uh, maybe it's because I wasn't reacting enough but it, <laughs> it, the atmosphere and the environment was astonishing and when you think about it Although Hamilton was detached from that because he was in the car, the fact that he didn't let all this affect him, I think was really, really impressive. And that had been a, a weird season across the board, 2008. There were quite a few mistakes. Obviously, remember the, the incident at the Canadian Grand Prix when he hit the back of Kimi Raikkonen's car at the, the red light at the pit exit. You know, that was a, a, a big mistake. There were a few others that season as well. And there was a sh sort of shaky run to the end as well. But he, he managed to, to make it work. So there was lots of moments where he might have been, become distracted and thought oh no it's it, it, this is another thing that's just going wrong but just did what he uh what he needed to do but yeah the the idea there's still a few that uh peddle a conspiracy theory that Timo Glock was part of it but he was just doing no what chance. he could yeah. as as I recall he just said he, he basically wheel spun all the way to the <laughs> to the line anyway so Hamilton probably would have passed him if he was on foot to be honest I mean, it just it for me it just looked like Timo Glock at that point was driving on ice that's that's exactly what it looked like he was doing his absolute best to try and control a car that was at that point uncontrollable um and I, I, do... I think I was gonna say if you compare that to what was going on at uh Ed at um her F97. I think there was a lot more uh, <laughs> accusations that were <laughs> had a, probably a lot more weight uh, for that particular uh, finale than in, in 2008. I think everyone could see it was just the, just the weather, really, rather than anything else. Yeah, her, her F97 was uh, that's quite well documented now. What was yeah. uh, what was going on there in terms of the the kind of uh, McLaren keeping out of the way, shall we say, and then what happened yeah. after in the Schumacher moments of desperation, shall we say? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Chris. I do wonder what would have happened had he not won that title and whether that would have set him back a long way. But thankfully, he did win that title. He went through a few more years of hardship, let's say, at McLaren and then decided to leave. 
um, after so many years of a relationship with Ron Dennis, so many years of being a young driver with the uh, McLaren team, and left for Mercedes. Now, Mercedes had just been, uh, Michael Schumacher, sorry, had just retired from Mercedes. And I know that they were keen to not announce it too early that Hamilton was coming to not try and overshadow uh, Michael Schumacher's uh, retirement. But a lot of people raised eyebrows at that point. But obviously, Lewis Hamilton saw something with Nicky Lauda and uh, Ross Braun at the helm. And um, I'm going to let you go from here, Chris, because what a decision it turned out to be for Lewis Hamilton to, to make that switch. Yeah, it's um, yeah, I think that sort of period from about 2009 to 2012, we kind of look back on it now as sort of like Lewis's wilderness years almost. But he mm. still um, he still won in every single season or continued to win in every single season of his career. So I think. And those cars weren't necessarily, well, in 2009, there was nowhere near until they sorted it out about halfway through the season. But I think that showed his uh, talent and, and commitment throughout those with relatively uncompetitive machinery compared to what he'd had beforehand. Uh, so a lot of credit to him goes there. But I think, yeah, maybe, um, I think some of the great drivers have shown um, expert kind of judgment. And see, we're looking back with hindsight a bit, so it's a bit... It's, it's often difficult to say compared to the moment, but yeah, she, like Schumacher picked the right time, you could say, to switch to Ferrari from, from Benetton. And then um, you could say here that uh, Hamilton picked exactly the right time to switch to Mercedes, but um, who were at the time, yeah, a sort of upper mid-grid sort of team. So it, it was a certainly was a gamble. Um, I'd, I'd love to know the conversation he had with Nicky Lauda. I think that would have been fascinating. <laughs> Fascinating to be a fly on the wall there. But it, again, though, isn't it that foresight that he saw a brilliant team there and yet not yet a brilliant car? And obviously the, the advancements in cars at that point that Ross Braun w was able to, to develop. But that foresight to see that there is a good team there, if they can sort their car out, then we're on to a winner. Yeah, I think he'd seen, they'd made improvements every year. That was the first thing. Um, yeah, they had a Formula One uh, well, one of the greatest Formula One sort of leaders, I'd say, in, in Ross Braun there. Um, and, uh, and the power of Mercedes fans uh, financially and in terms of how seriously they were taking Formula One. I think he effectively um, weighed it up and, and, and took the gamble, really. And, um, well, it's paid off pretty quickly, didn't it? Uh, <laughs> first season, uh, claimed quite a few wins um, against a pretty dominant Red Bull car. And uh, as soon as we moved into the, the V6 hybrid era, he absolutely took off, really. And, um, he, well, his first... It wasn't easy against Rosberg at all, but um, especially not in the first season and the third season. But um, it, it, that's what's really moved him from being a, a, a driver who we may have, without that move, have looked back on as... A, a good champion, but not one of the all-time greats. But I think that move has has elevated him to that uh, that conversation as as one of the top, well, possibly the top, but certainly uh, sort of top five of all time sort of status. So. Yeah, Chris has mentioned it there, Ed. A few back to uh, back to back titles after his first initial season there uh, didn't quite work out. Um, obviously, a lot of, of Grand Prix wins, but he probably would have been hoping for for slightly more when he made that initial move. Um, two things, really. Number one, I'll ask you first, how much of his success, and especially his early success, 
was to do with the team behind Mercedes and the immense car they made from, as Chris said, the V6 hybrid era? Yeah, it's always the eternal question, isn't it? You you don't win without a very good car, but also you get into a good car with how good you are mm. and with your contribution to it. So, yeah, he, he wouldn't have had that success without a very strong team behind him. But then again, you can say pretty much the same thing for for every driver going back in back in time. So it's all the credit to him to make that decision that, that Chris was talking about, both because he could see that Mercedes had the potential. They got onto the, the, the 2014 generation engine development earlier than anyone else they just broke through as a winning team in 2012 McLaren had had a few difficult seasons and actually aside from 2011 where Hamilton still had some great moments mm. but was a bit shaky because he struggled to adapt to the the kind of demands of the Pirelli era which later he did get on top of those tires and the, the approach spectacularly uh, but it took him a little bit of time um, and then it kind of it finished him as a driver in a good way, <laughs> Mercedes. In the, I was going to say, yeah, I was going to say, yeah, I'm just just being completely contrary He's here. Finished, but, <laughs> but it, I think he kind of went there as a as a still not that raw, but still a little bit rough around the edges in area. Mm. Still not quite the all round team leader, and I think that experience in 2013 as well with Mercedes, he understood a bit more about that. And then up against Rosberg for a few years as well, uh, learned a few tricks there also about how to be the, the kind of consummate team player, shall we say. Yeah. So that was all part of it, as it would be for any driver. And, and again, we come back to this point of he's able to keep learning and keep contributing. And the thing is, although he's, yeah, he's got a great car, but, History tells us if you get in a situation where the other guy on the team's better than you, that changes very, very quickly. You might get away with one season when you're the star and an up-and-comer can be kept in their box, if you like, but you can't defy gravity in that sense. So he was a stronger all-round driver than Rosberg. I think Rosberg is easy to underrate. He was capable of very good things, just didn't quite have all the tools in his toolbox in the same way that Lewis Hamilton did, but he was able to... You know, play a few little mind games here and there, play the psychological war, absolutely fine, no problem with that at all. And I think that that kind of that defeat to Rosberg in the title in 2016 was the thing that that finally convinced Hamilton of, you know, it's no good just to be better and to be 50 points ahead. If you're 50 points ahead, be 51 points ahead, be 80 points ahead, be 100, leave no stone unturned because you never know how much bad luck you might have because in that season, maybe getting ahead of ourselves a bit here, but he had about half of the major Mercedes power unit engine problems just by luck of the draw. And that's across all of their engine supplies. Just just bad luck. It, it happens because you never know when the odds will kind of go against you in, in that regard. So that sort of, that that was the, the the point where I think all the threads came together and he became just this this kind of ultimate ultimate driver. And it took a few years, but it does for all drivers. Every driver will be better in their 10th year than in their first year, you'd hope. And if you're a driver who's as good in your 10th year as you are in your first, then you're probably not going to be someone who's winning world championships because you're, you're not improving. So he's fed into it. He's contributed to the team being so strong and because Ferrari... Vettel with a perfect season in 17 might have been able to win it. Certainly 2018 was possible uh, for, for Vettel and Ferrari to have won it. But Hamilton was the guy in that season as well who was able to, to deliver, make the key passes at Sochi, make the key passes at Monza to turn defeats into victories. Yeah, and you mentioned it there, Ed. Um, you, you touched on the 2016 um, season with Rosberg winning it. Chris, Lewis Hamilton's come out and said that... Um, 
he kind of wished Rosberg had stayed on. They were good karting teammates together that he enjoyed the success of Rosberg because that pushed him on further to, to, to go and claim those victories. I mean, you, it's one thing to come out and say it. How much do you think that victory for Rosberg would have hurt Lewis Hamilton and therefore spurred him on to go and win more titles and then become this enormous success, three titles in a row from 2017, and just be this absolute mammoth that is almost impossible to beat in the F1 in the F1 universe? Yeah, I think at the time he'd have been cursing Rosberg. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like you say, it may well have, uh, and as Ed said, finished him in a good way in that, uh, yeah, it spurred him on to uh, even greater levels, I think we've seen. I think, yeah, I think Hamilton is driving better in the last year or two than he's driven at any point in his career. I'd agree with that. I, I would love to have seen Rosberg stay on because I was just, I was just really enjoying the rivalry and how bitter yeah. it was. Like, it, was just, <laughs> it was good fun to watch. And also, it probably would have brought Vettel into play even more than it did because... I believe they would have taken more points off each other. Mm. Whereas with Bottas there, he did take a few wins, Bottas, but he also, ah, I'm still not convinced Bottas is as good as, as Rosberg was. And I think that has also allowed Hamilton to refine his own performances even, even more. Because, I, I, yeah, I just, I don't know. Um, he's just complete, I think he's just psychologically... You can see it sometimes that he's completely psychologically crushed Bottas in certain races. Yeah, and I, it never got that way with Rosberg. So, yeah, but yeah. You, you could I, see I that rivalry that. with Rosberg the whole way through. And I think the one incident that kind of brings that to mind for me is I think was it Hamilton that put the cap on Rosberg's head, and Rosberg yeah. just took it off and threw it at Hamilton. And it's yeah, that kind of bitter rivalry that was brilliant. He at him, yeah. And there, there was an Austria 2016 where Rosberg just took him out. That yeah. Was there was slashing across the front at uh, Lacombe in 2014, I think. Um, yeah, there was all these little incidents, which I think really added to the rich tapestry of, of Formula One. And uh, I, I missed that a little bit. Yeah, same. <laughs> I mean, Ed, Ed, we've got exactly two minutes left. So if you can sum this last point up in two minutes, I'd be absolutely amazed. But we've talked so much about Lewis Hamilton, his greatness, his 91 GP victories, his sixth world championship, soon to be a seventh world championship, all from a British driver. In any other walk of life, you'd just assume that Lewis Hamilton would be lauded as just one of the all-time British greats. And yet, for some reason for me, he isn't seen like that. There's a, there's a different public perception of Lewis Hamilton. And I don't think it's fair. And I think that Lewis Hamilton should be regarded as one of the greatest, if not the greatest, when he retires, British sports person ever, until somebody else comes and, comes and does something even more impressive, in my opinion. So do you think it's the perception of the sport in general, of it being a rich person sport and, and the, the, the multi-millionaires that all of these drivers are, that is kind of letting that public perception of Lewis Hamilton go down a little bit because his achievements alone should make him on and so, so, should sorry put him on such high regard with the British public yeah well, he's, he's unquestionably he's one of the all-time great British sports people without argument I think and mm. he certainly yeah you can you can make a case for him being, being the greatest very very strongly uh, I'd argue but yeah 
maybe it's a combination of things, partly what you refer to about F1, partly the fact that it's been on on subscription TV. Mm. Uh, for the period I was just looking at the, the winners of British uh, BBC Sports Personality of the Year, which is always a useful barometer. Hamilton has won it once in 2014, by which time F1 was on pay TV, but he hasn't had what you could call those Olympic moments. So, you yeah. know, the Chris Hoyes, the, the Ben Stokes won it in 2019. Obviously, that was terrestrial television, the Cricket World Cup final, and heroics in the Test Series as well. That was on, uh, on, uh, on subscription TV. So, maybe it's the fact that it that kind of Hamilton and Formula One kind of drones on year after year, whereas you get these spikes in a few other sports. So you get a Chris Hoy or someone like that who people can get excited about because he, he racks up the gold medals, but it's only once every four years on top of his uh, 11 or however many it is world championships he's got um, in, in cycling. And yeah, maybe it's it's because he's, he's an interesting character, Lewis, who... I th- I've got a lot of time for him. I think he's a, he's a genuine guy. He's, he's engaged more and more off track. He's uh, raising important uh, important issues, and I'm re- massively behind him on that. I think that's really important to use his platform to do that. Um, but he, he's not kind of a, an instantly likable character, by which I don't mean he's an unlikable character, but he's not kind of got sort of that Daniel Ricciardo. You know, you could put someone in front of Daniel Ricciardo when within five seconds he'll, he'll have them delighted because he's such a sort of, he's got that type of charisma Hamilton's got a different type of charisma and presence and I think it's very easy to misunderstand him because I I think he's very genuine but it doesn't always come across it doesn't translate in the same way and I think people would respond to him very differently if they could just be be in a room with him shall we say yeah compared to over the tv whereas Daniel Ricciardo is pretty much the same over the tv as if you're confronted with him in in person shall we say not in a bad way it's not one way's right one way's wrong but Everyone's got different personalities, different characters, and maybe Hamilton's doesn't doesn't chime with certain people. Doesn't have to, but I, I think he's, I think he'll just continue to grow in stature, particularly with all the off-track stuff he's doing. And you know, he's 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 thirty-five now. He's got a few more years left, but you can also measure his greatness not just in the statistics, the seventh world title. It's inevitable. The fact that he'll have the most Grand Prix wins, probably within a week of, uh, of us talking, <laughs> chances are, but also his wider kind of cultural impact. And I think that's going to continue to grow even after he's, he's retired. So I think maybe 30 years, 20 years down the line, people will, will be celebrating everything that, that Lewis Hamilton did because I think he has, been, uh, he, he has been an all-time great. And I think he'll continue to have a, have a role, a prominent role, shall we say. He'll, he'll continue that profile after he's retired. I think yeah. I failed to do that in two minutes. No, I, I, I think you're going just under three. So I think that's 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 pretty good going to sum up an entire personality and and life. Um, but it's uh, for me when you were speaking, then it just reminded me of the, exactly the same Andy Murray type. Not necessarily the the best personality for camera, but behind the camera and off the camera. If you just got in a room with that person, you'd see exactly why, uh, exactly their charisma, exactly their personality, and and what hopefully would make them likable. And for me, hopefully, it's one of those that we don't know what we've got until it's gone. And once he has gone out, we'll realise just how good of a sports person he is. Um, Ed, it's been absolutely delightful to speak to you uh, today. How can people catch you and your content? Yeah, just uh, check out the the race.com website, the hyphen race.com. 
podcast, uh, the Race F1 podcast, which I host, which we do after every race. Also our YouTube channel from, from the race, and I turn up in a few other places, Racer Magazine in the States, and so on. Is that enough plugs? I mean, that's more than enough, but you can <laughs> keep going for the rest of the time we've got on. Um, Ed, thank you so much for joining us. We really hope you've enjoyed your time as a, as a returning guest on the Sports Weekly podcast. And fingers crossed, you can come back again in the future when Lewis Hamilton has won his seventh World Championship title and we can talk about him some more then. Um, it's been absolutely brilliant. I know me, Chris, have, have really enjoyed the chat. So next up, we've got the brilliant sports quiz. Welcome back to the final part of the Sports Weekly podcast. And it's time for the quiz. Almost. Because Josh went off air, said he had another joke to to go off from the success of last week's joke, which was, if I remember <laughs> rightly, incredible. Josh, right? Uh, I remember. I remember it was bloody great. <laughs> Interval training. Interval <laughs> training. I liked it. Yeah. Nice. I, so um, I was... Uh, I was just hanging around Lewis Hamilton's F1 track outside his house. And his F1 car came into the drive and starts being mean to this little Ford Fiesta. He starts saying, oh, he's slow and he can't do any skids. And, you know, he's, he wouldn't beat him around the track and he's being really nasty to him. So, you know, a little Seat Leon comes over to the Ford Fiesta and says, no, don't worry about him, mate. He's all talk. Uh. <laughs> Okay, that was loads better than last week. Thanks for the constructive feedback. It's also quite a cute little joke with the the cars being able to talk to each other. I like that. Yeah, it's like it could be in the film cars almost. Yeah, yeah. Promise that is original content. One of those jokes that just go over like the little kiddies' heads, a bit like a joke in Shrek. Yeah, yeah. One for the massive castle. That's a family friend. The adults are kind of. The adults will kind of titter at and go, oh, yeah. I'll tell you what. These guys <laughs> what I'd give for you guys to titter at one of my jokes. Um, just a, I, I tittered. I tittered, Josh. I'd give you a ha. I'd yeah. give you a ha. Yeah. Give it's it... just the delay on Zoom. must be the delay. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel yeah. like last Without week... delayed. <laughs> I think last week we said it was a C minus, right? So I think this yeah. week's a definite B minus. Def- oh, no, it's definitely C. It's a C plus. Oh, a C plus. Okay. I'm, yeah. I'm okay. C plus. Yeah, we're somewhere in the middle. So let's go for a C. A solid C. Yeah, mm. cool. Thanks, guys. Congratulations. Oh, can, yeah. Can I can I also say something funny that I did this week? If that's all right with 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 the podcast. Yeah. Oh, right. always. So, uh, yeah, yesterday, bit tired on the train, going through a bit of Facebook, obviously. So my uh, family history of Celtic supporters, uh, talking from the no, I mean not even the days of past, like Boba Valde, Shinji Nakamura. Um, yeah, just. Yeah, but but for, for about 10, 15 years. Well, my dad's been a Celtic fan for a while. Have it, it lasted so anyway. days, was it, Will? Well, Chris, uh, I'm, you're going to ruin a question in the quiz later, so I'm not going to bring that up, right? Um, <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> genuinely had no idea. Who did well, I? Forget you I bastard. Oh, you bastard. Right, anyway, so um, the story goes, so I, I'm, I'm on Twitter. I don't really go on Facebook or Twitter because... I have to look through it, reread my tweets, edit it, and spell it because my spelling's awful. Like my spelling and I'm I don't like doing it because someone always calls me up on it. But yesterday, got a bit cocky, saw the lineup, and uh, I, I tagged a friend in the, the Celtics lineup and put the phrase, and you'll laugh at this uh, Chris Brown literally shaves his head to look harder, commitment to the cause. <laughs> Obviously, the famous Scottish central midfielder isn't called Chris, his okay. name is in fact Scott. 
Didn't, obviously, this is why you don't get cocky, boys. You do yeah. get. I thought I've done a couple of tweets. Oh, one, no. I did it first off fresh. I've sent it straight away. Didn't look through it to a, a lovely man named Steve Duggan. Steve, if you're listening, you probably not. Um, he put Will. Bit of a mix-up. One is a captain of one is a captain of a nine in a row winning side, and the other one punched Rihanna. So uh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't notice this either. I got oh, sent by two of my mates, and one of them has actually tagged it on Twitter as well. Oh, yeah. oh no! It's just that... It happens, though, boys. This it happens. Happens, happens yeah. the best, doesn't it? Yeah. I swear, I'm not thick. I mean, I'm not intelligent, but I'm not thick. Oh, I, I disagree, Will. You're an intelligent guy. Right middle ground. Don't put yourself down. Um, Will, I mean, in talking of intelligence, you've come up with a, a lovely quiz for us this week. Uh, slowly turning into the quiz master. Um, yeah, I think I'll take that title. Too, I mean, I'm uh, happy because... for you to take that title as well. And... I, I, you know what? This is what this is why I'm going to take that title because I did one, even though I gave it to you last week. Yeah, I know. I was going to say I, I, I was ready to do chat. it this week, and you were just like, "I've done, I've done one, mate. You're too slow. I mean, we're not even started." No, no, no. I thought I was doing one because I've done <laughs> yeah. it so many times that I automatically did one. I mean, but once I said, you've oh, won crap. so many, it just becomes boring winning loads of quizzes, right? So you may as well just kind of those that have won now teach. So quizmaster, quizmaster. Won now teach. Probably. That's not. That's not I, I think that's what happens. It's those who can't do teach. No, no, no I think are those who have won teach. I believe. <laughs> I think that's the one. Uh, so, Will, please introduce us to your quiz and let me win. Yeah, no problem. So, ladies and gentlemen, listener, once again, how are you? <laughs> how are you and yourself? What did you do today? You have a warm. You know what I'd like to do on a Sunday: roast dinner, then a warm bath. Oh. Catch the highlights of some games later. There's a late kickoff. Go watch it. I mean, at what point? You, at what point does this? I'm talking to the listeners. Dan. No, no, I know. But what point does this podcast turn into an Alan, Alan Partridge type? Um, <laughs> I don't remember Alan Partridge having a roast dinner and going into the bath. Oh, he definitely There's had bath many... time. He definitely had bath time. He probably yeah. does have a bath time. When Alan, Alan's watch, when deep bath, watch, I believe. Yeah, when he tries to watch porn from the bathroom, <laughs> <laughs> has to get the mirror. Anyway, this is called uh, Matthew Flamini's the greatest midfielder of all time quiz. Um, <laughs> I got quite heated there, Josh. I didn't really know what I was saying, so I, I do apologise about that. Um, and I, I also apologise to Chris Brown, actually. Actually, I don't. Um, I don't apologise to Scott Brown either because that performance <laughs> yesterday was flipping terrible. Um, anyway, so this is the quiz. We're, we're welcome back. Josh, just, just do your best, mate, if anything. Um, Chris, try and be a bit more... I don't know, try to dumb yourself down a little bit. Make everyone else feel a bit more on your level, um, if you can. Dan, I don't know, we'd try and get a sponsorship for male grooming for you. And yeah, yeah. We go again. So yeah. This week, we're, we're going to start with Josh. Once again, five questions. I'll say the answer. What I'll do, though, I'll make if everyone else wants to chime in with an answer at the end of the, uh, the participants' guess, then please do. Please do. This is a quiz for all, not just for one. Damn right. Here we go. Josh. I'm ready. Wonderful. What is the record number of red cards? Oh, sorry. Yeah. What is the number of record? Shitting hell. Sorry. <laughs> it's been one of those days. Um, I get a default record- point. Uh, default points. I can't understand the question. No, because then everyone would have a default point. <laughs> what is the red record number of red cards held in the Liga? What is the record number of red cards held in the Liga? In La Liga. La La. La Liga. That was more Italian. As in, as in what player has the most amount of red cards? Yeah, what or... is the record number of red cards? Okay, fair enough. Held by a player in La Liga's history. That's oh, okay. A way of asking that question. Um, I okay. can't blame the Radio Times this week either. That was written by me. Um, 55. 
by one player. That's a lot of yeah. red cards. Uh, Chris? Uh, 23. Dan? I was going to go for about 26. Okay, so it's actually 20, and it's Sergio held Ramos. by... Correct. Who's had 26 in all club competitions, 20 in the ah. league. Uh, I, would, I would have said Ramos if we'd said player, but that would have been too easy, I guess. Um, well, that wouldn't be the question, either. Um, <laughs> Josh, I've just asked you a question, so I'm going to move on to Dan this week. So it's a similar question. Where's the record number of red cards held in City A by a single player? Oh. Uh, I'm going to go f- 15. Christopher? Dr. Chris? <laughs> uh, 17? Josh? 21. Answer is 16. It's held oh. by Paolo oh. Montero. What? He's now oh, in charge of a thing. Yeah, he used to play for Juventus, didn't he, I think? Mm. Yeah. So I got 15 and 17. I was expecting Josh to go in the middle. Yeah, I'm no, glad he did. Josh doesn't play the rules. <laughs> like the cute, like the smallest child in the family of a three of a five uh, five person family in a five seater car. You'd have to always sit in the middle. See, I, 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 I would have be. guessed. I would have guessed Gattuso if I had to guess anybody. Not a bad guess, to be fair. I thought it was going to be high, you know, Italian, passionate, defending. Well, they know mm. how to defend. Yeah, that's true. Actually. Yeah, they don't need red cards. They know how they to don't do. need red cards. <laughs> and uh, finally, for you, Chris, my favourite question. Uh, what is the record number of red cards ever given to one professional football player? Um, is that in record, their, by the way. That's not just in league. Is that their entire career? Club? Ever, 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 ever. All club competition. 42. Dan, has it a guess? Um, I'd say 45. Always go, always go near, Chris. 40, 47. Fuck me, boys. 46. Oh, no. What is going on? Held by (laughs) Gerardo, or as they say in Colombia, Gerardo. Thank you. Uh, Bedoya. Colombian footballer. uh, His 41st red card was for elbowing, then kicking a player multiple times in the head, banning him for the next 15 games. He then got a further five red cards in his career. How was he not, not banned from football before? <laughs> I don't know. You, you, you would, wouldn't you? Like, you definitely have a case of going, right, this person's got, I don't know, like 30 red cards in their career. Should mm. we have a meeting? Should we talk about it? Yeah, like the usual methods aren't working, are they, of uh, dissuading? Well, yeah. <laughs> and I know, I know obviously South American football's a bit tastier, but like, Christ. That's taken it. Um, anyway, back to you, Josh. Who is the youngest F1 driver to win a race? Oh, I can feel Chris Who breathing down my neck here. the youngest F1 driver to win a race? Um, Rubens Barrichello. Daniel? Uh, I'd have gone Max Verstappen. Christopher? Yeah, I'd have, I'd have gone for Max as well. It was Max Verstappen, 2016 Spanish Grand Prix, 18 apparently. Josh, the only reason I laughed is because I think every F1 question you've ever had, you've said Rudy yeah. Barrichello is the answer. <laughs> <laughs> it's, my, it's my go-to. Is he, I know he's old now. He was young once, right? <laughs> as, as, as it goes, Josh. <laughs> You're not wrong. We, we were all young once. Um, back to you, Dan. Who was the first ever F1 world champion? Oh, um, I don't know. 
but I'm going to okay, go for because I don't know the the, the different eras and, t- and times. But I'm going to go for f- Fangio, 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 Fangio. Chris, I think it's Farina. Josh, I mean, you can say him again if you'd like. <laughs> Rubens. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> uh, Jensen Button. <laughs> <laughs> You're hoping more of a Benton Button. Senior, Jensen Button, Button, senior, senior, Uh senior. Sure. Jensen Button's Benson Button. (laughs) Benjamin Button, shit, wrong one. Yeah, I know. I I appreciated the joke, though. I I know, I was trying my best, though. What what was that? About C minus as well? D plus? Yeah. 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 Chris was correct. Nino Farina. Of course he was. Of course he was. <laughs> Makes me sick. And that's why I didn't ask you a question, because it was too <laughs> easy. Okay. Right. Christopher, Dr. Yeah. Chris, MD, specialised as in gynaecology. Uh, <laughs> Scottish driver. I don't think that's a thing either. I don't think you can specialise in gynaecology, can you? You become a gynaecologist. I don't know what you'd study. Uh, Scottish driver David Coulthard, or Coulthard, uh, claimed his 13th and final race victory of at, sorry, at which event? Oh, so... Scottish driver David Coulthard. Yeah. Or Coulthard. Yeah. Yep. Claimed his 13th and final race victory at mm. which event? I tell you what, it's good I didn't speak to, uh, to where uh, was it? Yeah. 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 <laughs> you got it. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm going to say Italian Grand Prix. Oh, Australian. Oh, Grand awesome. Prix 2003. Okay. Fair enough. Okay. The next round for you boys, as you're all looking a bit tired, something to liven you up a bit, something to really, really think about, something to separate the Chris's from the Josh's, as you will, <laughs> in regards of quizzing. Um, there are going to be some very specific questions, some very intimate questions. I'm hoping you're all able to open up, breathe a bit deeper, and come up with a, and a reasonable answer. Are we all ready for that? Are we all ready to open up with each other? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Totally. Wonderful. Are we all ready to be intimate with your quiz master? <laughs> um, yeah, I suppose. That's kind of how I like it. Um, Josh, mm-hmm. name one of my middle names. <laughs> how many have you got, Will? Do you want to ask? i got two. Oh, okay. Um, I'm going to go... So you, your family supports Celtic. Well, it's nothing to do with names, not, really. Not, not as much as Stowe, but there's a there's a relation. Yeah, I'd say, I'd you know say what? Yeah, them. I I just go to David because William David Parsons sounds like a good strong name. Oh, that's a strong. Oh, you're not wrong as well. To be like, that sounds like a very strong name. Unfortunately, it's wrong. Um, I'll give Daniel and Chris a go. Dan. Well, I'm assuming it's Henrik. Um, no, I'd go for Joseph. Joseph. William Joseph. <laughs> no. Sorry, I'm not even. <laughs> not even ha- no. No, I'm not even having that. Joseph. Sorry, I'd have gone David, but Josh stole it. Yeah. Sorry for now insulting every Joseph who listens to the podcast. It's not like an <laughs> insulting name, but you've got William. You don't need Joseph in there as well. I'm sure, they, I'm sure they'd understand. Chris? Uh, I'll get for John. Sounds solid. Oh, no. so David, Joseph no and John. Gone very yeah, members, Were they all Jesus' disciples? No, I think they're all members was. of Steps. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. Uh, Thomas or Christopher would have been the right answer. Ah, I, mean, I, I think you were all going around the way very sort of British names. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. 
Yeah. Um, well, that's actually quite a varied, varied <laughs> answer. Long list. Um, well, uh, Dan, name my favourite ever football player. Um, I'd go for Papa Booba Diop. Papa Booba Diop. For any of you who don't know, he is my Zoom picture, which has twice got me in trouble now with interviews with jobs and bosses <laughs> and things like that. Um, oh, did you, did you play football? Will you look a bit different from your picture? Nope, that's a big Papa Booba. Anyway, uh, it's not him, Chris. Ah, oh, it's a shame. I think this is where the Henrik Larson thing came up from earlier, so I'm going to go for him. All right, Josh. Um, Charlie Adam. It's actually right. Matthew Flamini, so you know. <laughs> well, I thought about that. Yeah. Uh, oh, it, no, I completely joke. It's Henrik Larson. Oh, it is. Okay. Followed as a career from Helsingborg. Just oh my god, what a man! The dreadlocks. He could, if he was, he's won a Premier League. He's won a Champions League. He's just the best striker. I. Just love him so much. He, oh he made a difference in that um, 2006 Champions League final when he, he came made on a difference in every load. game that he played. Christopher, you look at the <laughs> FC Porto game where they lost. He scored twice in there and was let down by possibly some 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 bad defending. He absolutely yeah. broke barriers when it came to the son of a Portuguese and Swedish family. Uh, there's just a lot of things that need to be loved about Henrik Larsson. Uh, whether it be the dreadlocks at Feyenoord, whether it be Helsingborg, whether it be Manchester United, Barcelona or Celtic. Just love that man so much. Anyway, that's not why we're here. And I shall just take myself in that rabbit hole um, and ask you now, Chris, uh, name my favourite ever Olympian. Oh, um... It was my favourite ever Olympian. That's tough. Uh, it's not meant to be easy. <laughs> um, Wim Jansen said... I'm going to go... Uh, Usain Bolt. Go for him. Usain Bolt. Uh, yeah, I can, I, I can sort of kind of deal with that. No, it's uh, the silver medalist at the Los Angeles Olympians at the 4x4 relay, Chris Akabusi. Ah, uh, uh, yeah. yeah. Boom, yeah, boom. Great. Boom, boom, boom. Great. Boom, boom. Boom, boom. Uh, <laughs> yeah, big big fan of Chris Akabusi. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think it was Los Angeles in 1984. If I've... I think that's correct. I'm sure one of you will be able to tell me that. Was that like... Yeah, it could have been or 1982. I feel like Barcelona... Uh, 92, sorry. I feel like Barcelona might have been 84. Oh, bloody hell, Sorry. Also, I do apologise. I don't know why I keep saying I always say his dad's from Portugal. He's not. It's from Cape Verde. Henry Larson's dad from Cape Verde. I do apologise. I always need to get... I always make that mistake. It's like Chris Brown and Scott Brown all over again. Do apologise. Anyway, <laughs> after that, what points are we all on, by the way? Because I've completed... Zero. I think we're all on zero. I think we're all... Yeah. The <laughs> fact that none of you know me is... <laughs> oh, we were, we were at least close. Dan and, Dan and Chris have met you. I've not even... I've only seen... <laughs> <laughs> me and Josh have never actually met face to face, which is um, either really sad. good or really bad. I'm not quite sure. Oh, it's, it makes me quite sad. sad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hopefully, you'll be able to increase your emotion with this next question. In the World Cup Panini sticker book of 2018, what number is Jerry Mina? 
<laughs> so in the uh, World Cup Panini sticker book of 2018, what sticker number is Yerry Mina? I'll give you a five number leeway. Okay. So, hmm? right, it's in alphabetical order then. It's the uh, Panini World Cup Russia 2018 Ecuadorian edition. <laughs> I'm gonna go. Um, I'm gonna go thirty-one. Um, it's six hundred thirty-nine. <laughs> I thought you got way, way short there. Yeah, should I well, give more of a? No, I would have gone well, way. I'd have gone way short now. as well. I'd have no, gone hundred and something. Yeah. Right. Okay. I was, I was starting to work it out with a calculator, but. Uh... The classic mistake uh, Josh has made is that he thought it was alphabetical and it's, uh, yeah. not. it's in group order. Uh, so, and uh, were, were near, in the group near England and they were near the, near the end. So it would be like quite a way. Yeah. I love the that, fact that he's the only one who knows what he's talking about as well. <laughs> the classic mistake to a very normal a question that Will's asked. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Walk straight into Will's chat there, mate. <laughs> yeah, my, like like the black widow that I am. Yeah. Um, so Dan, uh, I think you know where this is going to go. Yeah, in the sadly. World Cup, in the World Cup 2014 Benini Sticker Book <laughs> Edition, what number is Javier Hernandez? Javier <laughs> Hernandez. So in the World Cup Brazil 2014 Benini Sticker Book, what number is Javier Hernandez? Um, so Javier Hernandez is Mexican. Mexico were. In in, in in some a, in some in kind of in some kind of group at some point. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go for it's numbers thirty four. Shot in the dark. Fifty six of the world country rankings. Time's shot in the dark. Four hundred and twenty seven. The answer is eighty five. Ah, oh, I mean, I went too far. I, I I thought no, no chance. He's trying to fool me again. Cool. Yeah. No. Next. No, honestly, these questions aren't there to be. Um, I was going to say hard, but they are definitely they are definitely oh, there yeah, to be hard. Um, they're not there to trip you up in any way, genuinely, because they're hard enough without the tripping <laughs> up. Um, Chris might probably generally get this. Uh, Chris, in 2010, in the World right. Cup Panini sticker book, what number is Ashley Cole? Uh, Eat my goal, Ashley Cole. Ashley Cole. Another great player that Arsene Wenger. Sorry. He was he was a great player. Amazing. Is he number a hundred? Hundred eighty-eight. Oh, uh, right. Not bad. Yeah. yeah. I, I think Chris should get a point off because he didn't know it. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's. Only, I think there's only one point so far. Is there? Zero points. We're all zero. on zero. Didn't Chris get Max Verstappen? Oh, uh, that was his question. No, that wasn't his question. That was like a, yeah, that was Josh's question. I'm so glad and that those points don't count. So I'm I'm kind of annoyed here because last week I was annoyed. Well, I was I was told that it wasn't good enough to get stuff from the Radio Times. <laughs> this week I've made my own questions. Um, I thought well, you'd get last, at least one of the five. last round. We are in the last round. Oh, we are winner um, stakes or nail biter. Yeah, listener, if you have uh, that's right, listener, not listeners. Um, if you have. And to any of these questions correctly, please uh, let us know. Um, and uh, there won't be a prize for you, but um, we'll send you some of Dan's beard shavings 
Yeah. Um, only because, the, as I say, the sponsorship money, we, we it's too much of it. Too much. It's, yeah. We can't we can't can't even think of a decent price to give. Um, right, Josh, name one of the footballers name dropped in Action Bronson's hip hop single, "Back to the Future." So, name one of the Dutch footballers name dropped in Action Bronson's hip hop single, "Back to the Future." I'm going to give you three guesses. Nice. Okay, I'm going to go for Johan Cruyff. First guess. No. Okay. Um, I'll go for um, Van Basten. No. <laughs> I'm going to go for... <laughs> oh, man. Cliver, Patrick Cliver. Uh, no, you could have had either Iron Robin or Wesley Snyder. Oh, I'm in the wrong era, man. Modern, yeah. modern, I know. Don't know. Oh, no. Right. This is my um, question. No, right. Oh, okay. Hold on. Um, bit of interlude music, please. Um, oh, God. <laughs> Oh crap! Um, um, oh no! What's up, mate? No, no. Um, right, basically. So, um, the question I put is, um, Dan, which? Oh no, I know this one as well, so it's okay. I should have, I should have known this. Um, it's which football manager is referenced in Stormzy's track "Know Me From." Now, what I did is put the answer "know me from" instead of the name of the manager. But I oh. now know the name of the manager because I I, I do know the song sort of. Uh, what football manager? Um... Yeah. So name the manager that is referenced in Storm in Stormzy's track "Know Me From." I don't know the song. I'm trying to think. Stormzy's from London, so it could be. Oh, I don't know if he's an Arsenal fan. I'm trying to think. Well, I've I've seen his Twitter feed and whether he would. You know, I'm not going to go Arsenal. I'm going to go Jurgen Klopp. It's David Moyes. Oh, okay. Well, I really? Never, never. Uh, yeah. In a million years. He, say, he says something like, "I'm, I'm," and I'll clean the lyrics up a bit. Although, actually, I don't know why we swear on this. It's, some, it's something like, "I will come in and fuck things up like David Moyes," or something more lyrically better than that. <laughs> but basically, it's more of a diss on David Moyes than it is a positive on Jurgen Klopp. Anyway. Nice. Right. Chris's chance here. Chris Betteridge. Shouldn't have said your full name. I do apologize. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Chris MD. Um, in the remixed version of David Craig's Rendezvous, featuring Blacksmith, entitled Rendezvous Redub, which footballer is referenced? Um... Thierry Dan Henry. actually knows the song as well, which I'm really loving. <laughs> is it Thierry Henry? It, it's not. So it's uh, the, the lyrics goes, and I do apologise. Um, Tanya, look, I can saute, but four plays my forte. Going to score more ways than Lewis Boa more. <laughs> oh, <that's, laughs> I love that. That's great. Right. Amazing. So, uh, I'm going to have to come up with a question now. I mean, you um, could do Will. Or, I mean, can't we just call it all a draw? Or you could draw. call it a draw for once and then no great. one has to lose. Everyone, feel, everyone feels like me. 
It's amazing. Really? Yeah, yeah what, I think. I are can... you either all winners or are you all? We're all winners here. Last we're all... place. No, we're all losers because we all got zero. I don't think. I don't think it's fair to crown a winner because our performances no. need to get better, and we need to. Or should we... the questions get better? No, well, we need to to harness this feeling and never want to feel like this again and do better next mm. time. Basically, that's mm. what we had. A, we had a draw in undebatable, so drawing the quiz. Maybe it's just a yeah. week of draws. Maybe it's a week of draws. Yeah, um, that's true. Well, Will, thank you very much for the quiz there. That is the loveliest quiz that I've ever partaken in. And when I say loveliest, I mean hardest. Um, but yeah. it was it was great. Great questions. Enjoyed it thoroughly. Um, now, I had did have some questions prepared um, before you told me you had a quiz, full quiz prepared, young man. So um, whilst, whilst I love the fact that you should be the quiz master because you make good quizzes, I am going to do the quiz next week because... There are questions in the pipeline no, already. Yeah, that's, no, no, no. that's fine. That, that's no, why no. I accidentally did him this week. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, um, nil, nil, nil. Everyone's a winner or loser. What a great way to finish the show. Um, thank you very much, Will, for your um, lovely quiz. And that's just about all we've got time for. If you want to share with us anything that you thought about this episode, please tweet us. Uh, on at pod sports weekly that's at pod sports weekly if you want to email us it's sportsweeklypod at gmail.com that's sportsweeklypod at gmail.com uh will did you enjoy yourself this week um absolutely thoroughly i enjoyed it as much as watching a horrible u.s remake of a good <laughs> italian comedy english go. comedy well, well, what more italian. could you want uh chris enjoy your chat with ed straw I did, yeah. It's always a pleasure to speak to Ed. And, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed our uh, discussion and very much uh, enjoyed the quiz, despite me drawing a blank there. It was, uh, I've, I've definitely learned something about sticker books. And Josh, did you enjoy coming joint top of the first edition of the Undebatables and joint top of the quiz all in one week? Yes, never want this feeling to stop. It <laughs> feels great. Oh, well... Join us next week, everybody, for another episode of the Sports Weekly Podcast. We have been your hosts, and thank you very much for listening. Thank you.